0: This week's podcast is sponsored by NACE. Many of you will be familiar with NACE, the Education Technology Association. And for those who are not, NACE is a community of educators, technologists, and policymakers who share a vision for the role of technology in advancing education. Membership is open to teachers, school leaders, advisors, and consultants working within and across all phases of education in the UK and internationally. As a professional association, NACE represents the voice of the education technology community in the school sector at a national and international level, as well as supporting one another across the sector through conferences, courses and the dissemination of resources, research and reflection. NACE is about helping today's teachers teach for tomorrow, sharing successful approaches to learning with technology, and getting the most from your investment in education technology. Go to www.nace.co.uk to check out what NACE is all about. And as a listener of the podcast, you can get annual membership for just thirty pound for your first year subscription if you use the code NACEpod30 before 31st of August 2016. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the EdTech Podcast. This week we also say hello to a new UK Education Secretary, Justine Greening. Greening was born in Rotherham where she attended Oakwood Comprehensive School, which everyone is getting very excited about. According to the Sutton Trust Education Charity, she joins a cabinet with the lowest proportion of privately educated ministers since Clement Attlee's Labour Government of 1945. Other things we know about Greening are that she is a graduate of the University of Southampton where she studied economics and she also has an MBA from the London Business School. Before entering Parliament, she trained and qualified as an accountant for people including PricewaterhouseCoopers, GlaxoSmithKline and the like. In her formal role of International Development Secretary, she has talked about the power of tech as an enabler, citing leapfrogging technologies such as mobile payments in Kenya. Let's see what her thoughts are on tech as an enabler for learning outcomes and student engagement in the coming months. Welcome Justine and do feel free to join us for an interview on the EdTech podcast whenever you want. Thank you also to everyone who tweeted saying they enjoyed the Mark Anderson episode. I've posted a Goodreads list of Mark's recommended books and a Twitter shout out list which you can find on the Twitter feed or email for it directly at theedtechpodcast at gmail.com to pick it up. This week I also attended Teach Meet London Boat and I've put together a story of all the CPD takeaways from the event. I particularly enjoyed sharing a drink in a pub near Westminster when back on dry land and bumping into TS editor Anne Roz just back from a visit with Nick Gimm, certainly all going on in the UK at the moment. On that front, if you're involved in UK EdTech and wondering about exporting, join me for a UKTI webinar on the 10th of August. Registration is free and you can find out more by going to the Twitter feed at Podcast EdTech where you'll find a link. Now, moving on to this week's podcast and jumping across the pond to the USA, where I'm in conversation with Joe Fathery, Global Teacher Award finalist. If you don't remember the Global Teacher Award ceremony put on by the Varkey Foundation, where on earth were you? Everyone including Prince William, the Pope, Dubai ruler and our very own Colin Hegarty were involved. Joe was nominated as an innovative educator bringing real world problems to students to bring learning to life. In this episode, we talk with students about 3D printing, drones, and filmmaking, how to make a 3D printed Iron Man helmet, standardisation and assessment versus being a creative teacher, and how to measure innovative teaching methods to gain the buy in of leaders and government. I hope you enjoy! Yay! Yeah, it looks like we're all all good. So welcome to this first Blab edition of the EdTech podcast. And I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by Global Teacher Award finalist Joe Fathery, who is media production and innovation teacher at Effingham High School in Illinois in the US. And uh, Joe is also a previous recipient of the Illinois Teacher of the Year Award. And has worked with the National Network of State Teachers of the Year to develop education policy initiatives with government and having spoken to Joe previously um, I'm super excited to share with you some of his amazing international and project-based learning techniques which have covered everything and anything from drones, 3D printing, virtual reality, filmmaking and much more. So welcome to Blab Joe and thanks very much for joining us. And uh, I understand you also have some students here today, so hello to those guys as well.
1: Yes, and I appreciate you having us on, and we're going to try to hop on a variety of different ways. One, they're working on smartphones right now, and if that doesn't work, you may see some people filter in behind me, and we'll have some conversation with them (laughs) live. So either way, we're excited about being on
0: board. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming. And first off, my first question is, obviously in your bio there, there are a plethora of different awards. So... What's different about the way you teach? Like, why why do you keep winning all of these awards?
1: Well, you know, I, I think it's the question about how I teach mm-hmm. is the one that I kind of look at every year. And I want to go back to when I first started teaching. I, I really felt like I had a great undergraduate training and the science of teaching. And I got into the classroom and I started teaching uh, low-level uh, students, how to read and write, and I found out immediately right out of the gate, I didn't know how to connect with them, and it really, I really struggled with that because I was trying to bring my passion to the table and everything that I'd been taught. It seemed like the harder I worked, the farther I was pushing the kids away, and finally, a group of the students came in and they said, after about four weeks of this. They said, Mr. Father, he said, you're we go from dummy math to dummy history to dummy English, and you're honestly an idiot for trying to teach us because we can't learn anything. And I'm thinking, my gosh, 17 and 18 years of age, you've given up on learning and given up on life already. And I went home really despondent that weekend. And my wife's also a teacher. And I told her, I said, this is the way it's gonna be. I'm gonna find something else, because they need somebody that really knows how to connect with students uh, to be able to do that. And I went home and tried to reinvent who I was as a classroom teacher. And uh, back then in the early 90s, it was the rise of the hip hop era. And here in central Illinois, you might be surprised that it's not the uh, hip hop capital of North America. And my wife and I went out and we found all of these clothes that the hip hop artists were using. I cut lines into my hair back when I had it. And um, I came in that next Monday morning, and they're like, what has happened to you? And I said, well, you know what we're gonna do is we're gonna find a way to take music and connect you to storytelling and writing and after they got over the initial shock of seeing me as a as a hip hop artist, it really transformed things. My attendance rates went through the roof, my discipline problems dropped through the floor. And what I discovered was a big part of the problem was me. I wasn't finding ways to connect my kids to the real world. And that's what I've been doing ever since, is we work really hard to find real-world projects to connect the curriculum to that way. And it's what has inspired and transformed everything that we actually do.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'll send you a link to, uh, there's a guy called uh, Westwood here who, um, you know, if you want to go back to your hip-hop roots, might be quite useful. Um, I'll explain offline, perhaps. um okay so i mean i know we spoke previously about some of the projects you've been involved with and what i love about those is that they're so ambitious and they're not just kept within the school environment they're very much about engaging students right out from a product development point of view, almost to sort of launch. So I think previously you mentioned getting your students into the UN. What projects have you got recently sort of coming up with your students?
1: Well, just a few of them that I think really were transformative for the students and and our community. One, uh, we were in class one day talking. I had a student talk to me about um, they, they were having an argument about what poverty was and their idea was poverty at that time was you didn't own a new pair of Oakley sunglasses. And I said, I'm pretty sure that's not poverty. And, you you know, you sit back and you start laughing about these things, but it's because nobody's taught them about it. And so we went out, the kids uh, collected over 50,000 articles of clothing, books. They found a literacy expert that would go into homes of Uh, illiterate mothers and disenfranchised communities an hour and a half away from here. Uh, They created libraries for entire communities and they really dug in and started learning not only about what causes poverty, about what you can do to overcome it. They've hosted uh, national summits on poverty with kids from around the United States here. Uh, You know, that type of work and that led us to doing a film on, uh, poverty and how it's impacting the world. And so the students were invited a few years ago to the International uh, Summit on Human Rights at UNESCO in Paris. And to be 17 and 18 years of age and be able to take a stand on a, you know, in front of a global audience about what you feel we need to be doing to transform the world, I thought was incredibly powerful. And then I also work as a documentary filmmaker outside of the classroom. And I got asked to sit on a panel for the film One Day on Earth. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but well, it was a powerful, powerful film. They they came up with the idea of what happens if we would film a documentary in one day from every country on the earth. So it was October 10th, 2010. And my students got asked to participate and they did a piece on how farming uh, how farmers work to feed the world. And it really kicked off a piece on hunger. And so the students that worked on that were invited to go to the U- UN headquarters in New York to watch the global premiere as their film footage showed in literally almost every country on the earth on the same day. And so to be a high school student and have the opportunity to learn how to collaborate and share amongst large audiences uh, is is an incredible opportunity for them. And now we're doing a lot of work with... Um, 3D printing. I've got one of my students here that has one of the projects right in front of me, so I don't know at some point if you'd like to get...
0: I think bring them on now.
1: Come <laughs> on over here, guys. This is Dustin, and Matt's going to hop on here as well. Hi, Dustin. So, I, one of the projects that
2: we have worked on, it's a Iron Man helmet that you can actually wear and look through the eyes and everything. Um, with this, we learned um, some of the basics of well, actually a little bit more than the basics of 3D printing, uh, the different types of it and how to use it to create some pretty awesome projects.
0: How long did that take?
2: Um, it took us probably overall about a month to do, but there was probably about 100 hours of 3D printing involved. Wow. We worked with the body shop here in town to have it painted with actually car paint. And so it's a has a very nice look.
0: And, and how did you go about actually designing the piece in terms of the software?
2: Yeah, at, um we got some of the basic file parts online and then we modified them using some 3d cad solidworks i believe and to modify some of the parts that we could actually wear it and size it correctly and everything
0: i've had a question come in um how many pieces is the helmet made of
2: i believe it's 13 (laughs) pieces total on the inside you probably won't be able to see it but there's a lot of
1: Well, there's like some new adhesives that we didn't even know were available but because we partnered with a community member that does this for a profession, uh, he taught the students how to be able to do that. And I think that's a really incredibly important part too about working with community so that you're engaging community members in and creating that connection. And then Dustin and CJ, who's not here right now, did an absolutely incredible job of working and taking and leading this project. And that led us to go from, Something that was fun and exciting. I mean, who doesn't want to be Iron Man? But at the end of the day, you know, there's got to be some practical pieces with it. And If you want to switch that out, I'll have you hop on here and talk a little bit about all the virtual reality software. Why don't you do this, Dustin? I'm going to have Matt come on and talk about the next piece. So we went, if you're familiar with virtual reality and augmented reality, the students now have done an incredible amount of work of doing some stuff like that with Google Cardboard and printing. And I'll turn this back over to Dustin. I mean, he's the star of the show, not me, so. So with this, we uh,
2: found this design and also made it our own um, for virtual reality. This is similar to Google Cardboard because you can just stick your phone in this and then look through the lenses, but what, This allows us to do is make you feel like you're anywhere in the world. And there have been 360 degree videos that have been made by like the New York Times. So that allows us to see what life is like for some kids in Africa and other places. This combined with the 360 photos and 360 videos um, allows us to experience these different things.
0: Have you thought about, you know, is this kind of sparked any interest in terms of continuing around design or engaging in sort of digital aspects beyond school when you're thinking about what you want to do?
2: Absolutely. It's uh, made me think about like going into um, mechanical and electrical engineering and how I could take some of this and maybe start my own company or do some different projects that way.
0: I was just going to ask Joe for those teachers who are listening or leaders in education, is there an easy way for them to kind of find out perhaps how you went about the project or um, the actual links to perhaps designing the Iron Man mask as a project?
1: Um, they can connect with me at joe, J-O-E, at dot org. Yeah. And we're, we're going to put together a class website for this because we've had so many people start asking as to what we're doing. We would love to work with schools all around the world because that's one of the problems we've had, I think, in public education for the last several years is everybody works in a silo and we have so many brilliant people on here right now i'd like to know what they're doing in their classrooms and let's see if we can cross-pollinate some of those things because the cool thing is we all have brilliant kids yeah and we work really hard in here to turn that over and to make them fearless i'm going to bring dustin on real quick because i want him or not dustin but matt i want him to show one of the newer projects that we're doing that's kind of uh, related to automated systems like google car if you've heard of it so matt if you want to kind of bring some of that up here and dustin may have to help you i don't know so all right so right here we have a now it's two pieces of a robot but it will be connected
3: and it's transporting a marker from our office conference room to (laughs) mr and we're doing that because they're
0: too lazy to do it themselves (laughs) (laughs)
3: uh we're gonna get it without any human interaction so then it's going to simulate Google Car, Amazon Prime with Prime Air, um, and any other form of automation that we've got. So it's going to go from this um, Lego transport mode of transportation, and then it's going to transfer to this drone, which will wow. act as like Amazon. And so we've got a couple other conveyor belts that we're using, as well as this crane slash boat <laughs> using, let's see if I can get it these NXT Mindstorms that can program anything from following a certain line, color, um, how far, like distance with ultrasonic sensors. And so that's kind of what we're working with, just programming, so.
1: Well, one of the things I really would like to make sure that we talk about is the number of times these kids have failed. And so I'd like to know, talk to them just a little bit about failure and how it's not a, it's a driver not a not a an inhibitor for your growth.
3: Good. Yeah, so whenever we fail like we're kinda we really want to get stuff done. So failure doesn't really set us back a whole lot. It gives us frustrations, but it teaches us teaches us how not to do something as well. Um like Thomas Edison said, he didn't fail ten thousand times. He just found ten thousand ways not to make a light bulb.
1: So uh, I don't know, do you have other questions with Matt about any of these?
0: Well, I had one question come in about, again, the, I think it was the, the helmet, in terms of which 3D printer was used.
1: Uh, we used uh, MakerBot. MakerBot, cool. And uh, it, uh, and come on over here, Dustin. And it's We made it fully wearable, and one of the things we like to do is we like to create excitement around projects and to celebrate, <laughs> and one of the things that I <laughs> love doing is when like little five and six year old boys, future scientists or girls that are gonna be future engineers, they come in and they get to be Iron Man for 20 minutes. It's a way to inspire the next generation. And I think sometimes we, we've tried to, we've worked so hard to create learning environments that we've absolutely just sucked the fun out of school. And learning can be tremendously fun. And you've got, if you're gonna promote failure in your school, then it's gonna have to be fun. Our kids are not gonna wanna be involved in it. It's the same way as adults. So we try to make the learning process incredibly exciting, incredibly fun. And I I think uh, we've been very successful with
0: that. And I mean, that's very topical at the moment. So you've got like uh, Angela Lee Duckworth and her um, TED talk on uh, grit as well. So that idea that actually we need to just normalize the fact that failure is is completely relevant. And um, you don't always see that in the um, end product. If someone's excellent, you just sort of see the fact that they're fantastically good at something, but they've done those hours and hours of boring practice. So uh Yeah, really, really important.
1: Well, I I think one of the other things that we do as teachers is sometimes we take for granted that our students just understand how to do all this stuff. And I don't mean necessarily the things I'm showing you. I mean, doing history, math, uh, writing, all of those things. And so one of the very first, one of the most important things we do in my class is we create a culture that promotes creativity. And and I I use this story a lot uh, about in kindergarten, if you bring in a bunch of Mm five-year-olds And hands all go up and they're excited and, and they can hardly wait to tell you their answer. And it's everything from a fly on the wall to a polar bear's nose in a snowstorm. And somewhere over time, second grade, they raise their hand in math class and they get laughed at. Uh, you know, a kid gets up to ex- recite a poem in fifth grade and somebody snickers. And what they learn is, is if I put myself out there, I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to be ridiculed. And you start thinking about the consequences of that. There may have went the cure for cancer, the solution to global warming, how to have real uh, dialogue about racism, all those things that we'd like to get fixed, but we can't. And so in here, we work really, really, really hard about building that culture. And um, and I, I think the next piece that we really work on is teaching students how to ask questions, how to really have those what if questions, what, what do questions look like? And that's one of the things that we do is we really work on, you know, visually helping them understand those things. And so, you know, a lot of things that, you know, we just think kids understand that, they understand how to embrace failure, how to handle constructive criticism, they don't. And, and just like a lot of times of adults, we wanna learn those things. So I think it's so important to create that culture and give our students the tools that they need, that that's what I spend the bulk of the first part of the quarter doing. And it's amazing because, I mean, people are afraid to raise their hand, but by the time we get past that, it's like a train running in the dark at full speed and they just, they're excited and it's energetic and we're doing all kinds of building and things. I I just think, what if every classroom looked like that? And that's what we're trying to explore.
0: And you mentioned sort of getting outside of the silos before. So um, how are you connecting with other schools and with other leaders? both sort of in the US but internationally as well.
1: Oh my gosh, that, that, that's the fun thing. And I've got a couple of questions in there I wanna answer as well, I see on the chat. But you know, being the strategic project director for the National Network of State Teachers of the Year, and I would encourage everyone to uh, check the organization out. I was the Illinois State Teacher of the Year in 2007. In the United States, we've been naming state and national teachers of the year and finalists for state teacher of the year since 1952. And it's a collection of all of those individuals and I get to work with them on a daily basis which networks me with teachers literally around the country. And now being named a Varkey Teacher Ambassador by the Varkey Foundation, part of the Global Teacher Prize, I'm working with teachers all over the world. And that's one of, I think, should be our jobs. And it's definitely one of my goals is taking all the years of work as 29 years in the classroom. How do I share that out with other people that, you know, we shouldn't make the learning straight up. It ought to be this collection of talent. And I understand, unfortunately, there are great teachers out there that will unfortunately never be identified as a state or national teacher of the year. But I would encourage them to especially uh, look at the Global Teacher Prize. The application is going to be coming out here in another month. But share your story. For so long, we've kept our stories in silos. And I think it's important to let your kids, give them a platform help them showcase stuff. And it's one of the reasons why actually my community supports our work so much is because we're transparent and they know so much what's going on in our classroom.
0: Okay, so being transparent. And um, are there any uh, sort of tools or resources or apps that you find really useful as well to sort of help um, either the innovation that you kind of lead on And or the sharing side of things as well.
1: Well, I think if you're wanting to look at innovation, the D School at Stanford has uh, really good uh, introductory lessons that you can use for idea starters. It's called the D School. D School, okay. Yes, and it's a design school at Stanford, and they have some really great lessons and thought processes. Uh, that are out there. Uh, I think building your own YouTube channel is big. We've, we've started developing a really good presence out there. We, we hosted one of the nation's largest student operated film festivals for years. And uh, we've shown our work everywhere. And it's just a platform for students uh, to be able to showcase their work. And it, it really validates why you're asking to do, do everything that you do. You think about kids so often, they work really hard on a project they give it to the teacher and it's never seen again. And I think one of the things we have to do is we have to create a platform for them, and especially in this day and age when they can communicate across you know vast areas uh, to large audiences, we need to be teaching them how to be able to communicate like that.
0: That's a, so give me an idea actually, we should do another one of these and it will be all the students and we'll just set it up and maybe get students from around the world to, to come and uh, teach us, do some reverse mentoring.
1: Oh my gosh, I would love to do that. And we have a collection of students that would learn as much from everyone else out there, but let me know if we can do that. And, and I saw a, a question up here that I wanted to hit was about how does this fit in your standard curriculum? And I, I think that's really important to consider as yeah. well. I teach a design class now, and so it's easy for people to look at and say, well, you can do whatever you want. Well, we don't, we have learning standards that we have to abide by. But when I taught English and history, we had learning standards there as well. And so I think in this day and age, it doesn't matter what the vehicle you're using as long as you've got a starting place. So in the United States, I use the Common Core state standards and the ISTE standards. Those are my foundation for our work. And then I work with the students to design ideas that we can incorporate those standards in And so I know what standards I got to reach during the course of the year. And what I find is because my students are much more engaged, we can push them much harder. They're self-driven, they're motivated and the success rate is tremendously better. And some of our grading comes from the projects that you've seen, and some of it comes from standardized tests. There's always going to be a mixture of those things. But because we have the standards as a baseline, I can really measure my students' growth against those of others. And in this day and age, that, that's an important thing to be able to do. And,
0: and those standards, are those uh, defined within the school or are they defined within the, the kind of local government? Or how, how does it work, um, you know, where you're based? Well,
1: you can look up the Common Core State standards Standards When they came out, there was a lot of controversy behind them because at that point in time, literally every state had developed their own standard over time. And if you lived in the United States, I'm about an hour and 15 minutes from the Indiana border and students of a student move from Indiana to Illinois. You know, they might have a comparable learning experience, but maybe not necessarily so. And the way our government is written, the the states have the power to define what learning looks like. And so it was a very difficult task for the federal government to come in and say, here's what you're doing because that was unconstitutional. But what they did was uh, the, the governors and the state superintendents, they got together and uh, the council of uh, chief state school officers got together and they started working on these standards Uh, especially in English language arts and mathematics. And it's given us a common playing area to start with. But what I really like about them is it's not just content based where you're remembering something for today for a test for tomorrow. You're really asking students to take the skills they're learning and show how they can apply them. And that's what's really important in life in, in a society where you've got to be able to showcase what you know and how you know it. I, th- I think that's a really important piece. The only thing that I wish we would add, I, I spoke at the National Press Club in Washington DC about three weeks ago, uh, Dr. Fernando Reimers uh, from Harvard University just launched his new book on 21st century competency skills and really talking about those foundational skills that sometimes we don't take enough time as classroom teachers to work on because we're worried about so much else, but it's collaboration, Mm -hmm. project management, uh, you know, um, the ability to think critically, all of those things. I I hope that's the next area that we're looking to go to, but I'm really excited about Professor Reimer's work because I I think it's groundbreaking.
0: Certainly in the UK, people would share perhaps your um, experiences on assessment. So we have a a sort of similar experience where people are now trying to establish their own ways of assessing success um, and then are trying to collaborate or share what's working for them. Do you have any best practice or you know recommendations for educators here on the front of negotiating what you just spoke about? So, for example, the, the need to balance standardization and the needs of the curriculum and government with what you've been very successful with which is innovation and um, you know teaching in your own style because I think that's ultimately what educators get very excited about
1: well and that's very understandable and I I think it's a universal problem even when I went to uh, Dubai for the global teacher prize I was talking to a teacher who was from the States and was now working there and I and I was asking her why she came and she said well I left Dubai I left the United States to escape testing but testing has found me. And there seems to be that, you know, this uh, quest to measure everything that we do and that our kids, you know, the only way we can measure success is through bubbles. And while I, while I believe assessment is really important, I don't believe it's the only way to measure. And I, I'm sure every teacher on this uh, call uh, believes the same. And I think a, a lot of the administrators do. I, I think the challenge is that a lot of our administrators—they want the same thing that our te- that the teachers want. They want the students to find success. They want their teachers to be excited about working. And I think our policymakers are the same way. I work with a lot of them, and you know we have these negative pictures of both sides painted, but it's honestly because we're just not talking. And what I found is as I've shown my administ- uh, my administrators real examples of how this works. And I go down and bring them down to my classroom. And if they're busy, honestly, we take my classroom to the office. And uh, both of my building principals flew to Dubai with me. Wow. That's the kind of support that I have at Effingham Unit 40, it's an incredible district to work in. And they have seen now how you can take non-traditional learning and really wrap it into a classroom and kids can meet the standards at a higher level. And so what I would encourage the people on this podcast to do is really start looking around at some of the teachers who are doing this already and ask them to share their lessons uh, and then take those tangible pieces to your administrator and say, hey, let's let's pilot this together. let's do a a case study. One of the things I like about Finland is the fact that they train their teachers to be research scientists. We need to become that because it it becomes really hard for us when we go to an administrator and say, here's what we wanna do. And he or she's like, okay, why? How are you gonna meet the learning standards? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure. Uh, What do you expect is gonna happen out of it? Well, I don't know how to do that. And so I think for us to help alleviate some of their fears, we can bring that information to them. And then that also creates a case study that you can bring to policymakers. I've seen a dynamic shift in not only the way administrators think, but community members think, and now policymakers are thinking here in the United States. And I, and I can kind of close this question, I think with, with this answer, I was uh, one of six teachers in the United States uh, in 2015 that was invited to attend the international summit on teaching with Secretary Duncan in Alberta, Canada. And, you know, we got to really meet with a lot of the the leading countries around the world. And every one of them was trying to create the most innovative classrooms on the globe. So the desires there, but what I found even there was the fact that a lot of them didn't have examples. So what I think that we as teachers can do is we can build those products have the students like we're doing right now tell the anecdotal stories, and when you mix that with hard data, it really competes it really uh, completes a, a compelling argument for us to be able to have
0: and so I mean, do you know of any repositories where we're you know internationally people are putting these case studies and building that kind of database of examples which uh, which are working to help build that case for for everyone?
1: Well, that's a great question. And, and I was, like I said, speaking in D.C. a couple of weeks ago, I have an organization that just contacted me and I haven't had a chance to vet their materials yet. So I, I don't want to say anything. But it, from what I heard, it sounds really promising. So what I will do is pass that back on to you, because that's the same conversation as I hear everywhere. Yeah. I don't know what this looks like. And, and what I was told was, well, we have samples and I know at Enstoy, that's something that we're wanting to do as well as start collecting samples. And so I, I think you're gonna start seeing a lot of this shortly, but but the piece I have, I'll get that to you as quickly as I can. Amazing,
0: well, I've, I've kind of realized we're slightly over time, so I'm just gonna end with one question. So um, obviously you, you uh, were the finalist in the um, Global Teacher Awards, and as I understand, so you have that network of finalists who are working together. Um, and I know we, you mentioned the, the concert in Rome that's coming up, what should we expect coming online um, from that network of finalists as a sort of very powerful group of collaborators for education?
1: Well, it's it's one of those places, and these are the same type of teachers that are on here right now where you get in a room and it doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. We're talking about great teaching and kids and the energy just is literally off the charts. So we hadn't been in Dubai five minutes and everybody all of a sudden was best friends. And we're like, hey, tell us what you're doing, share, share, share. And so we're trying to, three of us are trying to host a uh, concert. One person will be doing it live in Rome, the 27th of this month, two of us from the States will be joining via Skype and having our students uh, perform live. But I think the really great thing is, over the next few years, as the Varkey Teacher Ambassador Program goes, you're gonna see a lot of resources coming out. We're working on right now a teacher toolkit that's supposed to roll out sometime later this year. And we're really excited about Sharing pedagogy, best practice, and also learning from a lot of other great teachers out there that don't have a platform and us working with them to help enable them to have one. So that's the exciting piece for me. And if I were everyone on here, um, check out hashtag teachers matter and also follow things on uh, the Global Teacher Prize website, because there'll be a lot more information coming, I know, in the next few months.
0: Fantastic. Well, um, Joe, thank you so much for taking part today. Um, And thank you to your students. And um, uh, I'm sure we'll be doing more of these in the future.
1: No, hey, and appreciate you having me on. And thanks to all the great teachers out there doing amazing work. Please get a hold of me. We'd love to connect and just continue to make the world turn a little faster.
0: Thanks everyone for listening and don't forget you can leave a review on the iTunes subscription page if you would like to and we'll see you next time. Thanks, bye. Bye bye.